0: Tonight I've spoken to the Leader of the Opposition and the incoming Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, and I've congratulated him on his election victory this evening. In this country, at a time like this, when we look around the world, and particular when we see those in the Ukraine fighting for their very freedom and liberty, I think on a night like tonight we can reflect on the greatness of our democracy. <laughs> Tonight, the Australian
1: people have voted for change. I am humbled by this victory, and I'm honoured to be given the opportunity to serve as the 31st Prime Minister of Australia.
2: Outgoing Prime Minister Scott Morrison and his successor Anthony Albanese both speaking on the historic election night of May 21st. Welcome to Making a Difference, a Junction Journalism podcast. I'm Aditi Kuti of Swinburne University on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung Country.
3: And I'm Naomi Newcomb from Deakin University on Woiwurrung Country. In this episode, we're going to relive Election Day as it was captured by journalism students around Australia. The election result revealed a lot about what issues mattered to Australians and how they want to be represented in federal parliament. And it all unfolded in a national broadcast by Junction Journalism as we revealed the twists and turns of a dramatic election count. Stay with us.
2: In the months leading up to May, journalism students around the country started coming together to plan this momentous broadcast. Of course, at the time we didn't know what the election result would be, but you only had to be a casual observer of politics to realise that the stakes were high. The bushfires and floods of the past three years meant the impact of climate change was affecting the lives of many people. Naomi, there were other issues too.
3: Yes, Adity. Federal Parliament had been exposed for its toxic culture, in particular the treatment of women cost of living, insecure employment and stagnant wages were causing financial pressures for many voters. And as much as we'd like to, let's not forget the pandemic. For the last two years, it has seeped into everyone's lives, and for many, it's had life-changing and tragic consequences. As we slowly emerge from the pandemic, the country had some big decisions to make about our future. Swinburne University political scientist Dr Rob Hoffman told reporter Claudia Harvey young voters could be influential in determining that future.
4: Over
5: the past few decades, we've seen a rise in um, what are called post-material values among younger voters. The idea that um, voters are no longer interested purely in their immediate economic security and have the luxury of looking um, to concerns like human
0: rights, like climate, like broader public welfare.
2: Younger voters' particular interest in these post-material values is also reflected in an overall higher approval of the
6: Greens Party and the Labor Party.
5: It's a long-term trend that younger voters are particularly much more uh, receptive to the Greens as a party. It's something like 30% of voters under 25 will vote Green against an average of about 10%, and among over 65, so that's about 2%. You see higher Labor support, you see lower satisfaction with the government. That's a fairly consistent
1: trend.
2: Election night arrived and the Junction Journalism newsroom was swinging into action. We had reporters in key seats around the country to give us updates and reactions from the candidate functions. And at Swinburne Uni in Melbourne, we'd gathered a crack team of presenters, producers and analysts. We were broadcasting on the community radio network around Australia and our on-air team of Jack Janin from Swinburne, Naomi from Deakin and Dr Andrew Dodd, the head of journalism at University of Melbourne, was setting the scene.
3: What have the polls said so far about this election and can we trust them?
7: Well, that's a big question. The (laughs) polls are having an election of their own this evening because um, they were so wildly wrong in 2019. The test of this this election tonight will be whether or not the predictions of a Labor win Mm. come to fruition. And already we're beginning to see some data coming in and it's all a bit crazy what's going on out there with the Teal candidates and others throwing really interesting sort of dynamics into the mix. Mm. And uh, who knows whether those uh, polls that have put Labor in front are actually going to come to fruition.
8: They were putting them in front for a period of time, but I suppose on the two-party preferred, which is, I I suppose, one of the easier ways to gauge how the election could pan out, we've seen a narrowing in that distance between uh, the coalition and Labor.
7: Yeah, absolutely true. It always narrows uh, (laughs) as the election date looms. but. What we're seeing this time round is really interesting. We're seeing a really big vote coming in in the very early counting for others, so for independents. In the case of uh, Tasmania, we're seeing it for the Jackie Lambie network. Yeah, we're seeing it for the teal candidates in some electorates. We're seeing it for green candidates who are standing in for teal candidates. Mm. So. We're seeing a really interesting drop in the primary vote for the Coalition and Labor and we're seeing an increase in vote for independents. Now, of course, that makes the two-party preferred vote much more difficult to determine because in some of these cases, we don't know where the preferences are going to flow.
3: As Andrew Dodd predicted there, the independents were making early inroads. One of those was Allegra Spender in the seat of Wentworth in Sydney's eastern suburbs, once blue ribbon Liberal Territory. Reporters Adriana Wainstock and Olivia Cleal from the University of Sydney were there to cover the vote count for us.
6: We are
9: in the seat of Wentworth. Um, our incumbent is Dave Sharma, who is a Liberal MP. He's held the seat since 2019 federal election. And the history of the electorate is predominantly uh, Liberal. It has uh, been the major party since 1945 in, in Wentworth and uh, with only um, a, a, an independent holding the seat twice, uh, most recently in 2018 with our current selves. Um And uh, most famously, I think, uh, was Malcolm Turnbull holding the seat for um, 14 years, uh, particularly during his uh, prime ministerial uh, position.
8: I imagine mm-hmm. the issues critical to voters in that electorate would be around climate change, given I believe it's being contested by uh, one of the so-called teal independents.
10: Is that right? Yeah, that's about right. This is Adriana here. We are here together today. And yeah, so climate change is the biggest issue. We went to some polling sites today as well, and that's what they were talking about the most. But also economy. Uh, People in my are very worried about economy, especially Dave Sharma's electorate. So, but yeah, climate change is the subject of the moment, and they want local policies around that.
2: Vote counting had already been going for just an hour, and already we were seeing swings against the coalition. Reporter Sam Davenport from the University of Sydney was in the seat of Reid in Sydney's Inner West.
11: Well, in Reid, the incumbent is Dr Fiona Martin, who is of the LNP, and they hold that seat, well, they did, by 3.2%, very, very marginal. It now looks like ALP will take this with Sally Sato coming in. But this is a seat very historically contested. So, interestingly, this seat is always been held. It's only been a seat as it is known as Reid. now since 2016. However, it is always been held by a member of the sitting government. So it's a pretty good look for Labour right now if Sally Satu is indeed elected, which I just believe I heard she was. So that is a very big thing for Labour.
8: the was was a little bit about the issues that face the electorate there.
11: Well, cost of living is something which seems to be a very major point for the electorate. It's something which came up time and time again and it's something that the LNP have been struggling with, like with many, many different electorates, but in, particularly in Reid, and it looks like it's come back to bite them here. And that is what seems to be one of the major events. There's of climate change, of course, another big issue, but cost of living and inflation, this is the sort of bread and butter things that are that are spoken about most in the city of Reid.
3: Those swings against government were starting to claim some big scalps. Here's Alessandro Rossini from Swinburne Uni, one of our political analysts at Broadcast HQ.
4: Look, it's too early to call which party's going to hit minority. So Chisholm, the seat in Victoria, um, which is currently held by Gladys Liu, Mm. it looks like she's going to lose that seat to the Labor Party, who... Uh, doing quite well there. Kuyong with the Independent. The Independent is currently on 55.2% of the vote, looking like Josh Weidenberg will lose his seat too.
8: First first preference, 55%. Uh,
4: uh, Two-party preferred between ah, Josh okay. Frydenberg right. and yep. Dr. Monique Ryan. Um, in regards to Goldstein, Zoe Daniel looks, looks like she's going to take that seat too with 53.2% of the vote. Right. Um, so it looks like Tim Wilson's going to lose that.
3: listening to Making a Difference and we're reliving the drama of election night from Junction Journalism's national radio broadcast. I'm Naomi Newcomb.
2: And I'm Aditi Kuti. The early signs weren't great for the coalition, but not everything was going Labour's way either. Christina Keneally, who'd been a high-profile member of the ALP's front bench, was trying to move from the Senate to the lower house. The ALP chose to parachute her into the seat of Fowler in Sydney's western suburbs. Reporter Daniel Holmes from the University of Sydney spent Election Day covering the story, and he said Labor's plan was not going well.
12: Fowler's quite an interesting seat. It's very much Labor heartland out in Western Sydney here. The incumbent Chris Hayes is actually retiring at this election and you may remember uh, late last year there was a bit of a furor in the local Labour Party when the executive branch of the New South Wales Labour Party decided to override the decisions of the local branch and outgoing member and in-state Christina Keneally is the candidate here. And that's been a real sort of hot-button issue this election. And Most of the candidates I've spoken to have cited that as their reason for running. And a lot of the people who I've spoken to today who weren't voting for Labor have cited that as their reason for not voting for Labor.
3: What other issues are being faced in the election, there, Daniel?
12: Well, of course, immigration is a really big one here. There's a lot of people who are uh, either first-generation or migrant Australians and Things like bringing family over is a big concern for a lot of people here. National security is something that, to be perfectly honest, I was quite surprised to hear a lot of people talking to me about today, at like the polling booths in Fowler. But really the big issue here is that people are very angry about Labor dropping this candidate in on them. I've heard that fairly consistently, even from a couple of people in the Labor Party and former Labor voters.
3: Elsewhere in New South Wales, Labor had battles in what was traditionally its country reporter Joseph Richard from Charles Sturt University was covering one of them in the seat of Hunter.
13: So the incumbent is Joel Fitzgibbons. Now, Joel Fitzgibbon has had the seat of Hunter since 1996. Historically, Labor has had a really big margin in the electorate. Uh, It's actually had 10% more of votes than average on a state level. Um, But in the last couple of years, this margin has shrunk and it's gone to one nation. So the seat of Hunter will be an interesting slot, whether Labour or One Nation will have the margin.
8: It's always been an interesting seat uh, with Joel Fitzgibbon there, obviously, from um, Labour with a lot of views around uh, regional and rural Australia. What are some of the issues that face uh, the electorate there of Hunter?
13: Coal mining is a big one, especially towards the towns of Musselbrook and Singleton, as that is the upper Hunter coal mining region, and it's very known for that. Um, So I Through my research, a lot of the issues that are going on is trying to find that balance of sustainability between coal mining and climate change. Joseph Richards highlighted one of the
2: key issues for people in electorates outside the major cities. Devastated by years of drought, bushfires, floods and destroyed crops, rural people have, in many ways, borne the brunt of a changing climate. The problem is, many of them also draw their livelihood from mining. We went to the central west of New South Wales in the seat of Calair. From there, reporter Sophie Norris from Charles Sturt University told us how the climate versus economy dilemma was playing out in National Party heartland.
10: So Calair has traditionally been a safe national seat and we're seeing that trend again tonight. However, what's happening, as is common around the whole country, is the independent candidate has actually come in second by the looks of it. So she's actually gotten just over 20% of the votes so far. So every year since 1996, Labor has always come second in Clare, and they're looking like this year they're going to finish third. However, it's it's still looking like the seat's going to end up in the Nationals' hands. What are the issues that are facing the electorate there? So because it is a a electorate that covers a lot of kind of coal mining regions such as Mudgee and Lithgow, obviously climate action and more sustainability and future proofing jobs is something that's become quite a primary concern for residents living in this election and I think that's what is responsible for that swing towards the independent because she is promising that kind of future vision and trying to combine economy and climate action together. Less
3: than two hours after the vote count started and there were swings to left and swings back to the centre. It had everyone including our on-air team enthralled. For more on the critical issues this election, we're now joined by political expert Andrew Dodd. Andrew, what is going on at the You've
7: been bouncing around over there. You're like, what are the seats? Where are the independents? (laughs) Where are the greens? What's going on? This is uh, one of the funnest nights, I reckon, (laughs) because um, we're seeing some extraordinary stuff happening. We're seeing uh, the vote going all over the place. It's really quite impossible to call still in some ways Mm. because... It's not a traditional election. It's not two-party preferred, simple as Labour versus um, coalition. Mm. We're seeing the rise of the independents, the teal candidates and the Greens. And Mm. we're seeing it in interesting ways in different places. And that all makes this a very interesting election to predict.
3: showed a mounting Liberal Party casualty list, yet no one was prepared to make the mistake of the 2019 election. Back then, Labor had been a warm favourite to win, only for Queensland to wipe out the party and hand government to Scott Morrison. So, it was time to head north to see whether shifts towards the independents and Greens elsewhere in the country would stop at the border. Reporter Verena Power from University of the Sunshine Coast was in the seat of Dixon, where high-profile Liberal Peter Dutton was being seriously challenged.
6: Well, Pizan has pulled ahead. Uh, there was there was a bit of jubilation earlier in the evening when there there was prediction that Ali France would win this seat, and that prediction hasn't been removed, either, I don't think. But at the moment, uh, she is behind. Uh, but just a few moments ago, while you guys were talking, there was a huge cheer for the independents um, taking lead over um, the LMP in Cuyon while you were talking. So. You know, here we are at the um, Labour Party and they're cheering on the Independent. Uh, what are some of the <laughs> uh, things
8: you've heard from um, people at that event this evening?
6: Uh, that it's been a long nine years and too long. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, they're, they're cheering on Simon Holmes, report court on TV at the moment too, which is, So it's indicative that they're not just looking to win, they're, they're looking to topple the LNP any which way. Just a huge uh, alley <laughs> Ali was just starting to talk, so I had to get out
8: of there. It's getting a bit noisy there. Uh, you, you gave yeah. us a wrap of um, the state of play in Queensland. Yeah. Have there been any big movements in Queensland uh, since we last spoke with you?
6: It looks like a lot of seats will go to the LNP. Um, the Greens are potentially going to win three seats in general. There's been a lot of... Uh, newcomers coming up to Queensland. (laughs) Traditionally, Queensland's been pretty conservative Mm. and always voted for LNP or some of the um, smaller, more conservative parties federally.
2: While some seats had already fallen in early counting, polling booths in Western Australia were only just closing. Unknown to anyone at the time, the state was going to be a big player in this election. So we spent time looking at some of the key seats. Given the early results on the other side of the country, we were watching to see if the tide of independent candidates had also swept across the West. In Perth, the electorate of Curtin was one to watch. And as reporter Oliver Lane from Curtin University explained, the seat was in play despite a large margin.
14: The incumbent is uh, Liberal MP Celia Hammond. Um, She won in 2019 with the biggest margin for the Liberals in WA. She won with a margin of 14.3%. Now, there has been been a, a redistribution since the last electorate but even with that change the margin remains an estimated 13.9 percent this seat has a really really long history of uh, a liberal stronghold since it was since its inception in 1949 the Liberals have only lost the seat once and that was in 1996 when Alan Rocher who was a liberal MP um, lost pre-selection and successfully ran as an independent. The seat also acts as a really big moneymaker for the Liberal Party. They do a lot of fundraising there, which is especially important now, given the WA Liberal Party on the state level um, is in quite a weakened state. Um, now, for them, there is a quite a challenge on um, from Kate Cheney, the teal independent. Um, she, I'm at her... Um, at her function now, and there's a lot of excitement, um, but also a lot of nerves um, from everyone I've spoken to today. Um, No-one is quite sure how this race is going to go. Kate Cheney herself, her family, actually has a long history with the Liberal Party. Her grandfather, Fred Cheney, was part of the Menzies government, and her uncle was um, actually in the Fraser government as well. Um, And this is the first time for a while um, that this, this safe seat has been under serious pressure, Celia Hammond um, won the seat in 2019 um, after Julie Bishop's retirement. Um, And Julie Bishop, obviously the former foreign minister and deputy leader of the Liberals, had um, held the seat since 1998.
3: Another Perth electorate the Liberals were trying to defend was Pearce. As our reporter Jamie Thinoo from Curtin University told us, it was a tough ask given the circumstances in the seat.
15: The Liberals have held Pierce since 1990 when the seat was created. And Christian Reporter, he's been their representative since 2013. Now, he's obviously not returning after the controversy he saw last year in his place. The, the Liberals have brought in Linda Aitken, she's a councillor at the local city of Wanneroo. And Labour, the major opposition who are looking to take the seat, they brought in Tracy Roberts. She's a solid candidate, she's the mayor. Of the city, she's been involved in local politics for a really long time. So it looks like it's going to be quite a close race between the two.
3: Would you be able to tell us a little bit about the atmosphere at the Labour Party? We hear you've got a contact there, even though you are sadly in ISO at the moment.
15: Yeah, I couldn't be there myself, but um, the words I'm getting from the contact, it's just uh, a lot of positivity. Um, last election, uh, things didn't go as planned for Labour, but this time, a lot less nervousness. Just happy that uh, they're doing well. Yeah, definitely.
8: What are some of the key issues briefly facing the electorate of Pierce?
15: Well, I'm sure that you've heard it across the country, but cost of living and housing problems have been the number one issue here. Uh, Pierce is on the outskirts of Perth. So there's a lot of people here on their first mortgage, a lot of people, a lot of young families um, a lot of these suburbs have just been built in the last few decades. So things like housing, interest rates, they have a huge impact. Access to health care has been another one. Labour have touched on that in their social media here and petrol prices as well, because Perth's a really stretched out city and Pierce is really far away from the CBD.
2: Labour also had ambitions in the West after the party's thumping win in the 2021 state election. One of the seats it held by the slimmest of margins was the electorate of Perth. Jessica Evanson from Curtin University reports that the seat was being seen as a test of Labour's popularity at a federal level.
9: Currently, Perth is held by Labor. Are uh, led by Patrick Gorman. He's a young father who's worked in some pretty senior roles uh, in federal parliament alongside former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd. So traditionally, Perth uh, has been seen as a pretty safe Labor seat. Uh, Labor's actually won every election since 1983. Uh, it's only in recent years that they've become more of a marginal seat. In 2019, uh, they only won by a margin of 1.6 percent. So that's you know just over 8,000 votes. So you know at the moment. I do know that this is definitely one to be looking out for. Uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if Labor does continue their winning streak. What issues are facing the electorate? It's important to understand that a huge chunk of Perth, uh, the electorate of Perth, is made up of Perth's CBD and you know some of its nightlife districts. So you've got Northbridge and Mount Lawley. Uh, these have a bunch of nightclubs, bars pubs restaurants all which have been pretty hard hit by the pandemic so this has really impacted our small businesses um so there's a huge push within the candidates to really encourage people to go back and work in the city and i know that david dwyer he's the liberal candidate Uh, he's a small business owner himself so he's really trying to appeal to those small business owners
2: and we're reliving the Junction Journalism broadcast on election night.
3: While we were catching up on Western Australia, results in the rest of the country were coming at breakneck speed. And you didn't have to be a politics nerd to understand the significance of what was happening.
8: We're going to check in now with our political expert, our head of uh, the School of Journalism at the University of Melbourne, Andrew Dodd. How are you going?
7: Oh, man, this is such an exciting night. <laughs> <moment. laughs> What? <laughs> oh, absolutely. He's just, oh, there's so much going on behind I just love elections. And this, one, <laughs> this one's one of the most interesting in my lifetime. I just think it's absolutely extraordinary what's going on. So let's go through what we know. Chisholm, formerly with the coalition, 6.8% swing to Labour, gone. So that's a, a, a Labour pickup. Huge swing, goodness. Higgins, Katie Allen's seat, a 6.1% swing away from the coalition, gone. That's a Labour pickup. Deacon Michael Suker's seat, four point seven percent swing against it. Yep. That's in doubt. Uh, Reed lost to um, to Labor. Koo Yong, uh, Josh Frydenberg's seat. That's in doubt. Goldstein has been called a fourteen percent swing to Zoe Daniel. Goodness. she's the new MP for the seat of uh, Goldstein,
8: uh, taking over. It wasn't Tim, Tim Wilson. Wilson. Yeah.
7: And I believe the, the seat named after one of the great suffragists, one of the leaders of the suffragette movement, and I think she's the first woman to be the MP, the sitting MP for that poetic. seat. So Goodness. remarkable result. North Sydney, Trent Zimmerman's seat has been lost to the Teal candidate. David Sharma's seat has been lost to the Teal candidate. Ryan looks like it's gone to the Greens. Boothby in South Australia, a Liberal seat, a marginal one, lost to Labor. So now all eyes, as you have been correctly casting them, are on Western Australia, where the seats of Swan, Pearce and Hasluck are all up for grabs. And some of those already look like they're leaning to Labour because of the size of the two-party preferred It's such a huge swing.
3: So, in the blink of an eye, there was no longer any doubt about who would form government. One of our analysis team, Alessandro Rossini, said it was just a matter of how they would do it
4: we are getting towards the pointy end of the night as well um so anthony green the chief political analyst from the abc has posted on twitter and said that the uh, labor party has won the general election the 2022 general election Mm. so anthony albanese will be the next prime minister of australia 31st prime minister but the only question that remains now is if the labor party will be ruling in majority or in minority at this stage it is leaning towards a majority government i would think especially It's just the contrast from the start of the night. I mean an hour in, and it was like Liberals ahead, or the Coalition ahead by 30 seats. I
8: recall you walking in and being like, all right, cool, who are we calling? What are we guessing? What's going on? (laughs) And it was no one was really able to go, oh, no, it's got to be
4: this, it's got to be this. Mm. Again, we can't say for sure that we have a Labor majority. It it does look like um, that's going to be the case. One thing I do find interesting, though, if it is going to be a Labor majority government, is the way they work with the crossbench. Even if they're in a majority, sure, they can pass legislation Mm. willy-nilly. But there's such a mandate now with independent candidates, particularly when it comes to 60% emissions reduction on climate change, or emissions reduction um, for climate change, with issues regarding women in politics, um, but also an anti-corruption watchdog that meets the standards of those independents. Labor's going to have to find the balance between, I guess, meeting their own needs as a party, but also adhering to the views of the independents, because at the end of the day, as I said earlier, if they want to look forward to being a long-term government they're going to really have to see and hear what the independents have have to offer in there too.
2: And while Alessandro, Andrew, Jack and Naomi discussed the possibilities of a Labour government, it did require a moment to just stop and contemplate what had just happened. Throughout the night, we'd been following individual seats as the pendulum swung back and forth. We watched to see if Josh Frydenberg would survive, and if Jason Falinski in the Liberal seat of McKellar on Sydney's northern beaches could lose on a margin of 13%. We saw the Greens winning three seats in Brisbane and Labour take four seats off the Liberals in WA. We now had a change in government, a growing number of independents in Parliament and a stunning defeat for the coalition. Scott Morrison left Kirribilli House in Sydney to concede that his time as Prime Minister was now
16: over.
0: It's a difficult night for Liberals and Nationals around the country as nights like this always are. They are humbling, but so is victory. Victory is also humbling and always should be. I've always believed in Australians and their judgement and I've always been prepared to accept their verdicts. And tonight they have delivered their verdict and I congratulate Anthony Albanese and the Labor Party and I wish him and his government all the very best. To my colleagues tonight who have had to deal with very difficult news and have lost their seats tonight. I, as leader, take responsibility for the wins and the losses, that is the burden and that is the responsibility of leadership. And as a result, I will be handing over the leadership at the next party room meeting to ensure that the party can be taken forward under new leadership, which is the appropriate thing to do. This has been a time of great upheaval over these past few years. And it has imposed a heavy price on our country and on all Australians. And I think all Australians have felt that deeply. And we've seen in our own politics a great deal of disruption as the way people have voted today with major parties having one of the lowest primary votes that we've ever seen. That says a lot, I think, about the upheaval that is taking place in our nation. And I think it is important for our nation to heal and to move forward.
3: While we waited for Prime Minister-elect Anthony Albanese to claim victory, our reporters were still busy around the country as the seats continued to fall.
17: I'm Chelsea Bunting in the seat of Karangama in southern Victoria, where Labor has claimed victory again, giving Libby Coker a second term in federal politics. Now, in 2019, Labor narrowly won this electorate back from the Liberal Party by less than 1.1%. But at this election, it was a different story. Labor powered ahead very early on in the counting process and went on to retain the seat with a swing of almost 8%. The electoral boundaries of Corangamite changed in both 2019 and 2022, which has favoured the Labor Party at both elections. The redistribution included rural areas south of Ballarat, west of Geelong and along the surf coast. At previous elections, these areas were liberal supported, so the fact that they had been redistributed to the seats of Wannon and Ballarat was a factor in Labour's victory. This election saw a historic result for the Greens nationwide and this was also reflected down here in Corangamite. Greens candidate Alex Marshall had 15% of the vote, which is an increase of over 6% from the 2019 election. This electorate was traditionally always won by the Liberals, but the roles have now reversed as Labor has a strong hold on Corangamite. I'm Hannah Whitehead in the seat of Deakin in Melbourne, Victoria. The seat has still not been called as the votes between Labor and Liberal are so close, with a 4.3% swing to Labor for Matt Gregg. Matt Gregg had been tailing the previous seat holder, Michael Suker through the night. Liberal had held the seat for the past 13 years, with Labor only winning it three times since 1973. The watch party was exactly that, a party. Matt Gregg had made it clear all throughout the night the large amount of gratitude he showed for all his volunteers and supporters. In our interview and during his speech, he spoke on his passion for the community and the country.
1: It was always going to be very close in Deakin, a uh, 4.7% margin, so it's a difficult margin to get. But even if even if we can narrow that margin, that's an achievement in and of itself. We have spent a tiny fraction of the funds uh, Michael Zucker has. So. Um, I think it's, it's telling that we've, we've been able to, what well, looks to be a very respectable outcome, just by running a good grassroots campaign, talking to voters about what they care about and really focusing on them rather than you know, glossy brochures. Um, this has just been good old-fashioned knocking on doors and chatting to people, so it's been great.
3: We kept crisscrossing the country to see how the makeup of a new parliament started to take shape. Next was in southern New South Wales, where Labor was defending a slender margin in the seat of Eden Monero. Our reporter Maddie Green from the University of Canberra was covering the vote count.
10: A lot of our Eden Monero people, because I come from Eda Monero, um, from Queanbeyan uh, in that seat, uh, we have, um, a lot of us work and study in Canberra, so it kind of crosses between, but um, Eden Monero is part of New South Wales and uh, Christine McBain, our Labor uh, seat, who was our previous uh representative she has uh, retained her seat um, with the 7.7 percent swing percentage Um, her vote had been 43 percent. Christy raises her young family in the Eden Monero region and she aims to continue to uh, strive for a a strong community environment and economy into the future so uh, we're really looking forward to having Christy McBain uh, continue her reign.
2: And across the border in the ACT, the big story was whether former Wallabies captain David Pocock could unseat the Liberal Minister, Zed Seselja, in the Senate. Liam Mulhall from the University of Canberra was covering the nation's capital for us.
14: So the lower house has gone as expected, exactly the same as last election. Alicia Payne, David Smith and Andrew Lee all retain their seats, all Labor. It's even more swing than, than last election somehow. The Senate's really where it's getting a bit hotly contested here. Um, So Labor's Katie Gallagher retains her Senate seat and she'll become Australia's finance minister now. But it gets a little bit dicey with the current Liberal Senator Zed Seselja, who sits at 23.5% of the primary vote, which is not enough to reach quota. And David Pocock is closely behind him on, on 22%. But we'll most likely overtake Zed if the preference votes poll, as expected, with other independents like Kim for Canberra and the Greens, they will get preference votes for David.
2: You're listening to Making a Difference, and we're reliving the Junction Journalism broadcast on election night. Coming up, we find out what the vote count means for our next parliament.
3: There were many big stories to come out of this election. May 21 was becoming known as Independence Day, with six so-called Teal candidates sweeping into Parliament. One of them was Allegra Spender, in the seat of Wentworth in Sydney's eastern suburbs. And our dynamic duo, Olivia Cleal and Adriana Wainstock, were there to capture the moment.
10: On Saturday,
9: we attended the function parties of Dave Sharma and Allegra Spender. Sharma was the incumbent and liberal candidate for Wentworth and Allegra represented the opposition as the independent candidate.
10: And this was a very marginal siege. The pre-polls would show a margin of 1.3% advantage to David Sharma. However, during the night, Allegra was able to reach an advantage of over 16% ahead Sharma. And what is really interesting about Allegra's campaign is that she's the daughter of a former liberal MP, but she decided to go as an independent in this year's federal election. Correct. And she justified her independence
9: by saying she'd be able to push through policies for what the people of Wentworth want and not what the party wants.
10: Exactly. And Allegra based her campaign a lot in climate change, but more on the federal level. Whereas David Sharma based his campaign more in economy, but more local policies. Absolutely. And we have a surprise. Yes, we are able to talk with Allegra at her function party. Let's hear now.
6: Really excited. And are you satisfied with your campaign? Ah, yeah, it's been incredible. The volunteers have been amazing, so I'm so excited. What's the highlight for you? Oh, I think, oh, there's so many. I mean, I think tonight's been incredible. But it just been the teal wave we did the other day where we had literally over 100 people waving, you know, waving core flutes and posters, that was
17: absolutely incredible.
2: Another significant development in this election also had ties to the independent movement. The Liberal Party suffered mortal blows in Western Australia, losing six seats, including all but two in Perth. One of those was in the electorate of Curtin. What was previously a stronghold with a margin of 13% counted for nothing, as voters turned to an independent to represent them in Canberra. Reporter Oliver Lane spoke with successful candidate Kate Cheney.
14: So what made you run in this election?
16: I was asked by a, a community group, Curtin Independent, who were looking for an independent candidate, and um, and I, I think it's really important. I think it needs to be done. So, despite there being lots of reasons not to go into politics, in the end, I decided you regret the things that you that you don't do more than the things that you do do.
14: And you've run largely on climate and integrity. What's the feedback been like that from the community?
16: Most of the people I speak to who are under 40 see climate as being the number one issue. And surprisingly a lot of people over 40 do too. They're concerned about their kids and their their grandkids. So I do think that it it has been a gap in the major parties' uh, policies in in this election when it is something that's important to people.
14: So given it's been such a stronghold, the curtain seat for the Liberals, was it daunting for you to run for that seat?
16: Well Curtin is my community so I couldn't imagine running anywhere other than the community that that I live in. Of course as a safe Liberal seat uh, it's more challenging but I think there is a really strong sense of energy and desire for change here in Curtin and a sense that we're not currently being represented in accordance with our values.
3: Still in the West and one of those seats that Labor took from the Liberals was Pearce, an electorate that had been held by former Attorney-General Christian Porter. Reporter Jamie Thanoo from Curtin University was covering the seat for us.
15: So guys, earlier today I said that it might be a close race, but it's absolutely not been here in Pierce. It's a massive win for Labor. We're looking at a 13% margin, so it's a really big day for Labor here.
3: Um, Have you heard any more from your contact at the Labor Party about the atmosphere there?
15: Yeah, it's just going through the roof from what I can hear. It's been a massive night. They've known that Tracy is probably going to win for about an hour and a half now. But they're also really happy about what's going on in the seats next to them because many of these people come from the neighbouring northern suburbs. They're really happy about what's going on in Moore that wasn't a seat that they were expecting to win. And also, of course, how things are going in Cowan as well.
3: At the start of the night, Labour was nervous about one seat it did have in Perth. That was Cowan held by Anne Ali on the tiniest of margins. Reporter Xander Sapsworth-Collins from Curtin University tells us Labor didn't need to worry.
1: Now Going into
14: the election, Cowan was the most marginal electorate in WA with a margin of 0.9% for the incumbent MP, uh, Labor's Dr Anne Ali. Now in the election, Labor had a 9.6% swing in their favour and Anne Ali retained her seat quite easily in the end. This was expected to be a tight race between Anne Ali and Vince Cotterly, who was the Liberal member for the abolished seat of Stirling, and in last year's electoral redistribution, Cowan took in a large part of Stirling and lost a considerable amount of its own area. Now, that's why this election was expected to be so close in Cowan because it was being contested by two sitting MPs. Now, in the end, these expectations were not met, and what we've seen is Labor considerably strengthen its hold on this historically very marginal seat.
2: So the scene was set for a triumphant Anthony Albanese, the country's next Prime Minister. Plenty had been written about him in the months leading up to and during the campaign. There was discussion about his public speaking ability, his underwhelming campaign, and Labor's similar policies to the coalition. But in the end, he walked out to a standing ovation at the Canterbury Hillstone Park RSL Club in his electorate in Sydney. Despite Labor's primary vote dropping to 33%, Albanese had delivered the big prize and would govern with a majority in the House of Representatives.
1: And I say to my fellow Australians, thank you for this extraordinary honour. During this campaign, I have put forward a positive, clear plan for a better future for our country. And I have shared the two principles that will drive a government that I lead. No one left behind because we should always look after the disadvantaged and the vulnerable. But also no one held back because we should always support aspiration and opportunity. That is what my government will do. That is the what But the how is also just as important because I want to bring Australians together. I want to seek our common purpose and promote unity and optimism, not fear and division.
3: Fittingly, Anthony Albanese's victory speech drew the curtain on our broadcast. Although there was time for our panel to ponder a few of the lessons from this historic night.
7: What's happened since we last checked in? Oh, well, we changed government. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, we saw the birth of a uh, really very interesting parliament. Right. Where we're going to see all sorts of dynamics play out now that we haven't seen before. And I think we've also learned a few things about elections. We've learned that um, incumbency perhaps isn't the thing that saves you in a pandemic. Mm. So in this sense, this government has... Bucked the trend and incumbency has helped a lot of governments through pandemic time. By SA, of course. You know, what we've just seen with uh, Josh or heard from Josh Frydenberg mm. was a very conciliatory conspe- concession speech. And this is something I love about election night. It's the night in the political cycle when politicians start talking properly. They start talking openly and honestly and admitting their own flaws and failings within the party.
2: While the on-air team kept us informed and entertained, they couldn't have done it without a large team around the country. All of the reporters you've heard in this episode worked hard to help us understand what was happening on the ground in those key seats. At Broadcast HQ at Swinburne, we had teams of producers working behind the scenes to make sure our audience had the latest information. One of those producers was Callum McNaught from Deakin University. He and Brandon DeMuria from Swinburne were the cool, calm heads that made possible all of those live crosses to reporters from around the country. It was next-level multitasking. Here's Callum with his reflections on how they made it work.
5: Our job was to facilitate the live crosses between journalists and our broadcast headquarters here at Swinburne University. Communicating with dozens of young reporters was a challenging task that required us to think on our feet. We connected with student reporters online and made sure they were lined up for both live interviews and pre-recorded interviews to be played throughout the night. Brandon's job was with the tech team, feeding the reporters directly into the broadcast so that our hosts could speak with them. The night was not without challenges, however, and when a reporter could not make the cut, it was my job to fill their spot. The timing had to be perfect, and we only had every other half hour to get reporters lined up and ready to go live. Such a task saw me talking with reporters as far away as 3,500 kilometres in Perth and 1,700 kilometres away in Brisbane, as well as every electorate between these locations. As the night went on, and our coverage continued, both Brandon and I continued to improve at our live cross etiquette. We developed a pattern that involved a lot of nodding and shouting. Our producers, Adity and Dia, were right on the ball with us, and the broadcast went smoothly thanks to their quick thinking. This experience was without a doubt the best taste of live broadcasting that a comms student could have. The ups, the downs, and the effort resulted in something truly amazing.
3: And with all that, you'd think our coverage was done. But as we know, election night always throws up individual seats that are too close to call. This time, Gilmore on the south coast of New South Wales was one of those electorates. Our reporter Jason Gunst from Deakin University tenaciously stayed on the story. He says the result, finally declared more than a week after polling day, was significant for Anthony Albanese's hold on power.
18: The seat of Gilmore bucked the national trend of swings to Labor and independence and remained on a knife edge until the last few thousand postal ballots saw Labor's Fiona Phillips come out on top by just 0.17%. Labor retains the seat despite a strong challenge by the Liberal Party's Andrew Constance, who has experience in the region, having been a New South Wales state minister for an electorate that takes in around 25,000 residents from the bottom end of Gilmore. The Liberals gained a swing toward them and the two-party preferred by 2.4% and looked set to take it, before a late swing in the postal count to Labour 10 days into counting saw them get over the line. The jury's still out as to why the electorate seemed insulated to the national tide against the LNP and towards independence and Labour. Gilmore Independent candidate Nina Gigilio believes it's about the demographics – Particularly the older composition, perhaps having more conservative, rusted-on Liberal and Labor voters.
2: I guess a lot of the elderly see that the Liberal Party are safe, are safe mm. for them. Although a lot of them, the campaign Fiona ran with the nurses was about aged care. Mm. Um, yeah, it's very, it's interesting. A Very, very unique place.
18: When Prime Minister Anthony Albanese announced the incoming cabinet, he introduced Phillips simply as 77. Phillips, becoming the 77th confirmed Labour seat, gives the government a two-seat majority. Which wouldn't normally be the strongest position, but the crossbench is big. Two seats is a massive advantage with four Greens and ten Teal Independents. Meaning there's a good chance of the government lasting even in the event of by-elections.
3: broadcasts and even the weeks after, the significance of what we had accomplished and experienced was still sinking in. Anthony Albanese was right. Australia had voted for change and some of that change reflects the way many Australians want to see our country's future. Some of that change can be seen in the new wave of independent candidates, all demanding integrity in politics and action on climate, all of whom are women.
2: For all of us involved in this Junction Journalism project, it was more than getting some experience in live broadcasting. This night was a significant moment in Australia's history. It ushered in a new era in Australian politics, one that promises a First Nations voice in the Constitution, and one that many people hope will define the way we confront the challenges and opportunities of the years ahead. And as young journalists, we also played a part in writing some of that history.
3: That ends this special election edition of Making a Difference. Thanks to our partners at the Community Broadcast Association. For more of the best student journalism, go to our website, junctionjournalism.com. I'm Naomi Newcomb.
2: Don't forget, a new episode of Making a Difference is produced every month. You can subscribe on your favourite podcast app. I'm Adithi Kutti and thank you for listening.